This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to download our free audiobooks. The title of this book is Don't Talk to the Police, The Ultimate American Weapon, A Common Lawyer Comments, Copyright 2010, Written by Brent Allen Winters. Visit commonlawyer.com for more information. Chapter 1. Your Right to Keep Silent in Action No person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. To keep silent in the face of force, arrogance, intimidation, badgering, screaming, arrest, brutality, and abuse takes knowledge, conviction, wisdom, courage, confidence, and grit. Early in 2009, your commenter's wife, Susan, their five daughters, and one of their three sons were swarmed with eight county deputies, myrmidons, working at the behest of state judges and federal prosecutors to abuse them, intent upon baiting their father, arresting him, and jailing him. Before the attack was over hours later, Susan and her adult and minor children had suffered these deputies' verbal, emotional, and physical brutalities, intimidations, and threats of the same. In addition to being arrested and mercilessly badgered, assaulted, and physically abused, Susan and our hearing-impaired daughter, Casey, were falsely imprisoned and charged with a crime. In all of my experience with clients, reading of history and appellate cases on the matter, I have yet seen or learnt of a better instance of self-composed discipline, steadfastness, and downright pluck in Americans, holding to their constitutionally protected rights, and especially the right to keep silent. Your commenter's family, Susan, and six of their children, made him to understand that the Fifth Amendment right to keep silent is natural, alive in the soul, waiting to be quickened when need arises. Shortly before these abuses occurred, as Susan and six of our children were about to leave our house to drive the short distance down the ridge to the local high school, I had reminded them that I was under false indictment and that government agencies, state and federal, had by that time been dogging our heels, stalking us, and threatening us with criminal prosecution. Because we are all under real accusatory danger, I said, do not speak to any law officers or government employees under any circumstances or for any reason. Given their unnatural spirit of aggression nowadays, talking can only give them a crack at a false accusation. Keep your lips buttoned. Susan and our six youngest children then got in her van and left the house, as they did most every evening to walk around the nearby high school's quarter-mile athletic track. However, a couple hundred yards from our home, county sheriff's deputies, with neither a hint of cause nor reason for suspicion, stopped Susan's van and ordered her to step out of it, separating her from her six children still in the van. Though Susan without hesitation complied, he then further told her to step behind van, bringing her near the front of his cruiser. Upon this additional request, Susan smelt a rat, but again complied, believing that even though unreasonable, the requests thus far did not prevent her from doing right. But upon the deputy questioning her, she refused to answer without her lawyer, your commenter, present. Then without warning in retaliation, he grabbed her arm, whirled her around, slammed her face down on the hood of his squad car, handcuffed her, and locked her in its back seat. Meanwhile, our oldest daughter Casey, then age 22, had exited the van on the passenger side from where she had witnessed the deputy's lawless arrest. The deputy then tried to question Casey also, but, 
As her mother, she remained silent in the face of his attempts to banter with her. She instead pulled out her cell phone to contact her father, further riling the deputy, whereupon he reached for the phone with one hand and with his other hand ripped it from her grip. Then, using his tight hold on her wrist, he wrenched her around, forcing her face down on the hood of his squad car as he had done her mother, handcuffed her, and locked her in his squad car with Susan. Though Susan never resisted, the deputy had called for backup while he was handcuffing her. Seven other deputies having by that time arrived, one of them, without warrant or cause, opened the side door of Susan's van, separated the next oldest daughter, Jenny, age 20, from her four minor siblings, Christy, age 17, Joy, age 14, Clark, age 11, and Jill, age 10, by ordering her from the vehicle. The deputy then threatened to summon Child Protective Services, DCFS, to take the minor children away from their family forever if Jenny did not answer his questions, but she also refused. All the deputies then teamed up on the minor children still sitting in the van. For the next hour, they badgered and tormented them, screaming at them, ordering them in and out of the van, commanding them to sit down, then to stand up, all the while attempting to to get them to answer questions. Nevertheless, each of them held steadfast to their right to remain silent, refusing to speak. The deputies then took away the keys of the van, tried to keep the Winter's children from calling their father, their lawyer, and refused to let them talk to their father once he arrived. The deputies continued over and over to threaten all six of the Winter's children, saying, Your father has taught you well. You know your rights. But added, We are going to teach you that exercise of your rights will get you into trouble. Upon their father's arrival, the deputies repeated the same threat to him. Sure enough, the deputies did retaliate further, falsely jailing Susan and Casey, telling them they were under arrest for keeping silent. However, knowing such a charge was impossible, two of them got a couple of thick paperback law books from the trunk of one of the squad cars, and after much flipping of pages and haggling among themselves to decide what charge might fit, while your commenter protested under threat of arrest unless he kept silent, found a statute forbidding obstruction of a peace officer in the performance of his duty. Throughout their ordeal, Susan, Casey, Jenny, Christy, Joy, Clark, and Jill remained silent, refusing to fall before the deputies' lies, threats, and child abuse. Our common law right to keep silent applies in all conversations and circumstances, but especially during contact with prosecutors, police, agents, and other government employees such as judges, and including unpaid government conspirators such as lackeys and snitches, whether the matter to be discussed is thought to be criminal or non-criminal. In all events, one is unwise, indeed downright foolish, to ever speak to anyone concerning any matter in which one may be accused, whether rightly or wrongly. Moreover, the wisdom of the right to keep silent demands that one need never speak to anyone employed by or acting in collusion with any government entity or agency, state or federal, from school teachers to firemen, from IRS agents to sheriff's deputies and prosecutors, if asked to provide information concerning any potential criminal matter. And remember, criminal liability nowadays is not always according to law, but according to the legislator's command, the bureaucrat's impulse, and the prosecutor's creative passion. In short, where government is moving toward being total, claiming power over every aspect of life, every matter is potentially criminal. Add to these things the seldom acknowledged truth that even if the officer confronting you never twists what you have said against you, 
untold numbers of other government employees with access to what you reveal to that man may not be as honorable. In all events, if a grand jury subpoenas your comments from the memory of the honest policeman to whom you spoke, he must give that information to the grand jury by testimony or face possible jail for contempt or even perjury. Not to mention the social pressure of his fellow officers' accusations of unfaithfulness. Hence, every matter for which a government employee seeks information is potentially criminal. And if you choose to refuse to talk, you must be able to say how the answers demanded will provide a link in a chain that will lead a prosecutor to facts he could use to accuse you of a crime. In fact, your commenter has seen his clients indicted for answering, in sincere willingness to help an investigation, a question revealing his acquaintances, which then gave his prosecutor a handle with which to seek his indictment for conspiracy with those acquaintances. Policemen and government agents have become ever more underhanded in playing false with the loyal, law-abiding American. Often nowadays, government agents take on false identities and employment, sometimes even posing as lawyers, for ruses to tempt the innocent through conversation, to gather information from the unwitting, and then to accuse. For example, two IRS agents posing as lawyers with clients that needed unique tax advice wired themselves with hidden recorders and set an appointment with an accountant, who was a witness in your commenter's case. The witness, however, having seen such government shenanigans, like Susan, smelt a rat. Consequently, these agents turned actors left his office empty-handed. In another of your commenter's cases, prosecutors, using threats, frightened a former government agent and CPA into gaining the confidence of his client falsely, only to falsely advise him to return corporate papers to the government agency of origin. Then, after the client had acted on his advice, he abandoned his client and testified against him, lying before both the grand jury and trial jury about what his now former client had said and why his client had returned the corporate documents. Even though he had to do so in the teeth of the recording of his telephone conversation, with your commenter proving otherwise. In a third case, your commenter watched with dumbfoundedness a government-contracted, court-appointed federal public defender try to gain favor of the judge, having power over his lucrative contract to represent the poor, by colluding, or as he testified, playing ball with the court and prosecutors to betray his client to prison, and successfully did so. Indeed, License to lie and deceive without consequence has fostered the government's hirelings hostility against the law abiding. The hostility of government dependents, having now widened the gap of distrust between themselves and the non-dependent, makes the necessity of the Fifth Amendment guarantee of right to remain silent to fundamental freedom greater than ever. True wisdom is not mere knowledge, but knowledge obeyed, that is, obeyed in the right place and moment. Your right to remain silent is not only your shield, but also, because it is put in your constitution, is your sword to enforce your exercise of wisdom to remain silent against government's civil law-like manipulations. Deceit, intimidation, threats, raging, all born out of disrespect. At bottom, the lesson of the common law right to stay silent is to discipline oneself, to never be hurried to tell. Indeed, it is to be slow to speak, see James 1.19, quick to bridle one's tongue from the urge, though overwhelmingly, to talk. Others have telephoned your commenter saying that some government employee, prosecutor, federal or state agent, sheriff's deputy, 
school administrator, or policeman is at their door asking questions or has subpoenaed them to produce documents or answer questions. In one case, a doctor called, saying federal agents were at his office door firing questions at him. In another case, a client was visiting your commenter's law office when two federal agents ambled in, said they were looking for that client, and asked where they could find him. Other clients have called saying they had received grand jury subpoenas and asked if they should remain silent or testify before the grand jury. In some cases, the government forced your commenter's clients to go before the grand jury. But because a grand jury witness's lawyer is only allowed to accompany his client to the grand jury room, but never allowed to accompany him into it, these clients, while before the grand jury, all did as counseled. After being asked each question, the client excused himself, came out of the grand jury room, told your commenter the question asked, whereupon your commenter reminded him to read to the grand jury the words he had written for the client on a 3 by 5 card, claiming the Fifth Amendment's guarantee of his right to remain silent. One client, a grandmother, small of size, big of heart, innocent as the workday is long, knowing her innocence, tried to help law enforcement by answering their questions. With nothing to hide, she revealed all, given a full, honest, and uninhibited statement to the police. The police then arrested her. After holding her without lawful cause in the county jail for 45 days, but without finding any crime with which to charge her, they released her, but gave her statement to federal prosecutors. As had the local police, these prosecutors saw her prosecution as sport, for example, a game to be won. To them, innocence had no bearing on the matter. Twisting her statement against her under an unconstitutional legislative reach of our Constitution's Interstate Commerce Clause, the feds charged her with crossing a state line with intent to conspire to commit extortion, manipulated the grand jury members, none able to make sense of such a legalese-confused charge, to indict her and forced her to trial. Upon her challenge of the indictment for want of federal jurisdiction under our Constitution's Interstate Commerce Clause, the court ruled that if she, if she had succeeded, she never did, in recovering her $30,000 stolen from her, she could have affected, not effected, interstate commerce. The court also acknowledged that by the time of her alleged crime, serving formal demand papers on the thief as her investment contract required before bringing suit for recovery of her money, any affection of interstate commerce was impossible because the thief had already spent the, to the stolen $30,000. Nonetheless, by this ruling, the federal court took jurisdiction. But because she had talked to the police, she knew that on crass examination, all her words would be further twisted by knaves against her to make, as says Kipling, a trap for fools. She therefore wisely refused to take the stand and testify in her defense, claiming her right to remain silent. Her first lawyer's partner shot him over a personal disagreement before the first trial began. The shooter then took her $50,000 retainer fee to pay another lawyer to defend him, never to return it. Her second lawyer, a nationally known figure, took a fee of $100,000 but refused to defend her, intent on selling her down the river with a bogus plea bargain. Now, low on money, her trial looming and justifiably loath to trust any lawyer, she defended herself at trial and was convicted. But ever alert, she moved for a mistrial on jury misconduct. She learned that in British immigrant become American on the jury had sneaked a dictionary into the jury room to show her fellow jurors that her British understanding of the term extortion is the same as the American. As a result, 
The court granted her motion for a new trial, but her statements to the police still dogged her heels, opening her to false accusation if she took the stand to testify in her own defense. Knowing that federal judges often ignore the common law rules of evidence that limit the prosecutor's questions on cross-examination to the scope of direct examination, she opted to not testify in her second trial. Fortunately, other testimony on cross-examination during this trial kept her from jail. To sum up, if she had not talked to the police, it is unlikely that prosecutors could have robbed her reputation, her life savings, her and her husband's profitable business, two years of energy and peace of mind she could have given to her children and grandchildren, not to mention the millions of dollars prosecutors wasted on massive investigations and two full-blown federal jury trials. The lesson? Don't talk to the police. It's the American thing to do.